Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct-to-consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On episode 67, I sit down with Harry Willis. Uh, Harry is a SaaS partnership specialist with six years experience helping D2C brands and creators engage their audiences in new and innovative ways. He's currently Director of Partnerships and Business Development at Rello, a strategic partner of Clavio who helps CPG brands make more repeat revenue from their existing customers. I really enjoyed this chat with Harry. He's one of a handful of partner people that I know that are exceptional at what they do. And we cover the recent Blueprint and Clavio deal, the power of a consultative product approach, James Wyatt's infamous and trademarked follow the energy principle, also another excellent partner person, the importance of giving in a partner relationship, why the time to value in partnerships requires patience, the pros and cons of being a remote partner manager, and his take on personal branding and the power of repurposing content. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started today for free by visiting clavio.com slash your basket is empty. That's K-L-A-V-I-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Okay, uh, let's get into it. Ari, welcome to the pod. How are you, you and where are you? I am very well. I'm feeling quite relieved. It's a, it's a Friday. It's been a very, very busy week. But yeah, I'm in, in Lisbon, in Portugal. It's looking nice and sunny and crisp, and wintry outside. Yeah, I noticed you've got an yeah. air conditioning unit in the background there. And I thought, okay, it must be somewhere warm. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing at the moment, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so with most of these sorts of conversations, I like to take a bit of a rewind. So talk me through the journey to, is it Rello or Relo? Rello. Rello. Talk me through the journey to Rello. From the the beginning of of my career, or just through this this particular little chapter. I mean, we've got about thirty minutes, so you know. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's I just mean, do this little the, chapter then. The elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so we started off as a uh, SMS retention marketing platform called Blueprint, serving many of the leading CPG brands, mainly in the UK and the US. Um, and I was running the just focused purely on the agency part program back then. Um, and so I was brought in to, to launch that and then later started moving a little more into the tech partnership side of things as well. Um, and yeah, we we're working with a bunch of, of amazing merchants and it, it ended up with uh, Blueprint becoming a part of Clavio. So uh, a lot of our, our Blueprint merchants transitioned over to Clavio SMS in a, in a deal for, um, for EMEA. And part of that is we started building uh, Rello as a, as a bit of a smaller team in, in strategic partnership with Clavio. So Rello is a um, repeat revenue platform for uh, D2C brands. Once again, we specialize in the CPG vertical. So consumer cap packaged goods brands, things like coffee, pets, food and beverage, anything that has low value products that people purchase again and again. Um, and so that's, that's really where we specialize, but it's, it's much the same in terms of the um, the role I'm running the yeah agency partnerships, tech partnerships, but then also doing quite a bit of of uh, straight sales as well in BD. 
Straight up sales. Nice. Mm. Um, so, I mean, to that end, I'm curious then, what does the what does the typical day in the Director of Partnerships and BizDev at Rello look like? Mm. Um, to start, um, I try to get something out on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. We, I think, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because we, we had, like, we have a really strong marketing presence. And I think a lot of partnerships people don't realize how easy it is to repurpose content and share it to their networks on, on LinkedIn. So I try and, and see what we have that we could we could share. Um, so yeah, quick update just to get in front of everyone as soon as possible in the day, start warming everyone up. Um, and then yeah, catch ups with partners, generally looking at um, co-marketing opportunities, referral sharing, um, that kind of stuff. Um, strategic chats with Harvey, who's the, the co-founder of, of Rello, and uh, just checking in on where we are uh, in terms of numbers. And then afternoons are usually filled with with calls at the moment. And, and calls will typically be just normal BD calls, so bringing new merchants onto the platform to start a free trial. Um, but also we have a kind of consultative approach with our merchants where I, if they're an existing customer, I jump on a call with them and I say, hey, uh, I just wanted to give you half an hour of my time to discuss your wider stack. And that also helps us like encourage them to use the best in class technology stack that they might not have heard about tools like Gorgeous or like, um, I don't know, Recharge or Loyalty Lion. And uh, from there, it also means we can we can feed referrals over to, to our, our partners. So that's one of the benefits I think of being in a, a small lean team is I'm, get, I'm getting client facing, which is a lot what many partner managers don't really have the luxury of, of being able to do. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about like partnership stuff specifically, because um, my observation is that you're one of the, the outstanding partner people in the ecosystem. Um, you're too kind. <laughs> yeah, well, like I think that's true. Like the personal branding thing is obviously part of it, but you know, I think you hold a relatively unique position within that world. But I'm curious then, like, what does the Rello partner program look like, you know, Who's in your ecosystem? How do you work with them? Mm. Um, so when it comes to on the, the agency side, um, it is all about brands who are are using Klaviyo as a core part of their, their business. So usually these are kind of lifecycle marketing um, agencies. So they are typically using Klaviyo to help um, merchants and usually the business model is in retainers. So we try and um, basically have Rello as part of that retainer offering to make sure that they can generate more retained value for their, their clients. And ultimately that helps them generate higher, higher contract values from their, from their deals. And also the merchants end up super happy because they're retaining more customers as well. Um, and then on the technology partner side, Rello is built on uh, three key technologies. So it's Shopify, um, Klaviyo and Recharge. So, um, and I have to shout out, our old VP of sales, Alex King, who, who articulated this very well. We have a what we call a convergence and siege approach, which is where we take the kind of, uh, if you imagine the Venn diagram of the overlapping um, technologies that we work with, who is working with the main three technologies most closely. So that when that comes to agencies or other technology integrations, um, that's where we really focus. So that typically looks on the technology side like... Um, Brands like Loyalty Lion, Triple Whale, Gorgeous, all these kind of brands who are the kind of gold standard um, D2C retention stack. Cool. And uh, I'm curious then to go a little bit deeper on 
partnerships, you know, you've been in the game and you're obviously at the coal face of it. Like what makes a successful partner relationship, you know, like what, what are the kind of key attributes that you kind of look for when you're dealing with partners? Because I, I find that um, I feel that it can be done well, but there's often too much of a, a gravitation towards commercial outcomes or mm. the other option or well, other side of it is, is maybe too relationship based. You know, how do you kind of balance that? How do you think about it? Yeah. Um, very, very important question. Million dollar question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think my, uh, the, the biggest thing I've learned over the last couple of years is the amount of value you can, you can give to a, to a partner is directly reciprocal. So sometimes it takes time, but the, as soon as I flipped my kind of mindset into what can that partner give me into, okay, it's possible that they can give me something in the future, but what can I give them to incentivize that? Um, that started to really work. And that's kind of aligned with the what's in it for me principle. If you can start thinking of everything that you're doing in terms of that, when you update a partner, you're saying, hey, I've just sent you the following leads uh, or I've just sent you, I've just included you in the following marketing piece. By the way, here's my ask. Is there something you could do for us in return? Um, as soon as I started thinking like that, it really changed because coming from a sales background, there, there can be a bit of a, um, a natural tendency to think of partners as just what can I take? Um, but yeah, the moment we kind of flipped the Rello organization into thinking in a partner first way, just in terms of how can we take this amazing bunch of merchants that we've got and how can we start offering um, them ultimately out to connect with our partners, the better. And um, that had a huge, huge impact on what we do. Um, to, for a bit of context on that, we tend to refer each merchant that we're working with to on average five partners so you can very quickly see if you're if you're referring a merchant out and then the partner is then duty bound at some stage to want to give you something in return you can very quickly multiply the number of um, merchants you're working with into a really strong inbound flow um, so so yeah that was definitely a big change I think the the other thing and this would be mentioned to me many times one of one of whom I, I remember was was James white at Clavio was just basically saying just focus on on the, where the energy is, follow the energy. Um, because very often in partnerships, there can be times when you just, you're the one just doing all the legwork, nothing's coming back. And I think there's real value in just recognizing exactly when that happens and just thinking, okay, there are people who really do want to collaborate and who have the same mindset and you just click for whatever reason, whether that be ICP match, or you're just get along with them personally very well. And you can be very honest with them. Um, worth following those relationships versus flogging a dead horse in, in some other scenarios where it's just not going to happen. Not for anyone's fault. It's just, uh, yeah, maybe not the right time or the right place. <laughs> I'm sure James won't mind when we're pinching his follow the energy principle that he's trademarked, yeah, but I like that. <laughs> but I'm curious then like, so, what, you know, taking some of those attributes and distilling down, you know, what you've just talked about then, like what, what makes a good partner manager in your mind? Um. You have to be commercially minded, but I think that needs to be when when you're relaying how that's going to be achieved to your superiors. I think that there has to be an element of uh, a slow lead time, a slow time to value. Sorry, um, potentially if you're if you're launching a new partner program, I think it's very realistic that if you're an unknown entity in the market, you can't be expecting results immediately, and it's much better to put in the foundations of a really strong program underneath that. 
and build things slowly if you want to build lasting relationships that start delivering. Um, and if you have a good process in place, um, it will deliver over time, but you just have to have confidence and patience in it. Um, much like with relationship building, the process takes time to, to iterate as well. Um, but I think having a level of emotional intelligence on top of that as well is really important. You need to know when to push a partner, when to call in a favor, how to, how to frame that. Um, and that's stuff that really only comes from a couple of years of doing it and also just getting to know people better. I think there's so much that we can, that can be achieved by grabbing lunch with someone, going out for a beer with somebody. Um, I think that can really help to open those things up as well. So, you know, exactly when to, to push and pull. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the relationship piece is, 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 um, is kind of key to it. I suppose, how do you find that? It's really interesting to talk about like the sort of balance between commercial and relationship. Do you find that balance sometimes hard? Like, do you sometimes over index on the commercial and realize, Oh shit, I need to do a bit of relationship building here or equally like, Oh fuck, I'm too close to this person. <laughs> we've, we've gone out for too many beers. I need to sort of bring it back a little bit because there is this kind of line, right? I feel like in some ways it's not dissimilar to, uh, you know, management and someone managing somebody, you know, you're going to, there's a line that you need to maintain at some point. Yeah. I think on the, on the commercial side, the more clear you can be from the outset of what your ambitions are with the partnership, the better really, because it makes this kind of anchor point constantly with, okay, this is what we said we were going to do at the start of the quarter. Here's how we're tracking against it on a weekly basis or on a, on a bi-weekly basis. If you maybe have catch-ups locked in, um, why are we achieving this? How can I do more to help? It's, it's similar, I think, to, to when I've had really good managers in the past coming up in my career. They've managed me in that exact way. And I think if you have good management experience, it's something that also when it comes to partnerships, it can really, really help in that way, um, just structuring those. And then and then the relationship can can just help to fuel how that all goes because it just loosens things up and it means you, um, yeah, you know how to uh, motivate somebody, which is, which is super important. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the kind of transparency on the commercial side that I think helps. In terms of relationship building, it can be a challenge. Um, I'm, I'm remote full-time basically and uh the whole relo team is is a remote first operation so i think for a lot of um a lot of roles that's okay if you are an if you're a pure ae no problem at all because you don't really need to meet people yep. if you're a marketing manager content writer head of product um that's fine in through the partnership scope um i do think there is a the remote first thing is amazing but there is definitely a, a big advantage to just making sure every now and again, it doesn't need to be you're seeing these people every week, but it does need to be at least once a quarter, you're at least shaking their hand or just giving them a hug at some random event or just getting to know people properly. And that goes a long way when you get on those kind of terms with people. Um, so, yeah. And uh, how do you manage that thing? Like, is it something that you have to be quite strict with in terms of like diary management? Do you allow yourself a bit of flex? How do you go about being a remote partner manager, which is a very, you know, body on body contact type of position? Mm. Um, plan quite far ahead. Um, and so, yeah, we always have a kind of pipeline of looking down maybe a couple of months into the future. What's it going to be? Um, you have to start to prioritize events a bit as well. Um, mm -hmm. So there are certain things I would 
I would advise flying in for. Like I, I regularly pop into the Ecom Collab Club, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think for the kind of ecosystem in the UK around Ecom, it's, it's second to none, really. Um, and occasionally we do our own events. Um, what I try to do is just be in the country and touch base with the my closest partners once every six weeks or so. Mm -hmm. I think like if you're doing yeah twice a quarter, that's that's more than enough to to not need to be in that particular city at that particular time. Um, but yeah, needs a bit of planning. But also, if something really good pops up and it's out the blue and it is short notice. I am fully prepared to just drop everything, jump on a plane and let's do it. Um, so luckily, yeah, it doesn't happen super often, but like whenever it's needed, I kind of made a point to myself that if I'm going to, going to do this lifestyle, that's, that's part of the gig and the, the kind of the net of that is super positive. So I'm, I'm happy to do that every now and again. Nice. You touched on it just before. So what's your take on the UK sort of e-com community? My sense is that it's potentially one of the best in the world and that's not to be disparaging against the US or Europe or APAC, but it feels like it's got its own unique uh, position and vibe. What's your take? Am I right? Mm. Am I wrong? Um, I, think for, I, think, I think it's great. I think we, we deal with agencies like uh let's take some examples like elliot scott for example elliot digital is an awesome agency it started off just him as a one-off consultant we work as closely with him as we do with like some of the biggest agencies in the country um so i think i think the depth in terms of especially the clavio ecosystem is super interesting from consultants all the way up to like massive agencies um on the technology side i'm constantly stunned by how many technology partners there are out there just innovating in the e-com world um which is super super interesting i don't have a huge amount to compare it to i'm uh i've been pretty much just in the, the uk ecosystem for a long time or for the last like yeah three years so that's been basically my my experience what i would say is yeah i think you know, i was in the music world before and uh the e-com community is is incredibly welcoming um and i think if you if you turn up to an event and you don't know anybody and you just make yourself very open to kind of going up and just introducing yourself it's it's amazing how quickly people will put you in touch with other people and there's this uh yeah this kind of feeling of just the value of connecting people which is is really great yeah i definitely get that sense i feel like it's like uh it's 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 as open as you can be, but it's also very kind of supportive at the same time, um, you know, uh, which I think is a nice mix. Um, I want to talk, you, you touched on it before about like your um, kind of like the day in the life of, of, of Harry and it starts off with the LinkedIn post. But I'm curious about uh, personal branding, which I find mm. quite an interesting topic. I find it can be, I personally find it a bit polarizing because I feel that it's uh, it's ripe for gurus and grifters. <laughs> but then I, I uh, appreciate the power of it. Um, yeah. How do you think? I feel that your personal brand is on point. So how do you go about it? How do you think about personal branding? I suppose mm. you know in the context of our world in you know twenty twenty three. Um. So I think my goal with LinkedIn basically is to just be be present every day in people's feeds just to remember that I exist basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that 
I mean, that's also obviously very much tied in with Rello. I just want people to be thinking about Rello as much as possible. And the reason is that means when I follow up or when I ask for something um, to partners, it's not cold. Even if I'm coming at them cold out the blue, from their perspective, it's not. And I think as soon as, as soon as you can kind of start thinking in that way, the better really, like I said, people sit on this treasure trove of blog content, usually for the companies that they work for. It's very valuable to people, but no one really sees it apart from people searching on SEO um, or searching on, on search engines. Sorry. So I think if, yeah, just getting into the habit of just being in people's attention the whole time that I think also just realizing not being too precious about it, people, it, it doesn't need to be a perfect thing that you're sharing. It just needs to be something that's adding a bit of value that's going to just make people think slightly. Mm. Um, and what I think, what I'd like to do more uh, and what I'm considering doing more is just more of the kind of day-to-day -day in terms of things that I've learned, kind of anatomy of a partner program and all these kind of things. But I'm also a, a victim to that cognitive load of just thinking like that. I haven't quite got to that yet. And that's how the pe the real... Linked influencers, as they're as they're called, that's how they like start generating insane results from LinkedIn. Like I, I do it okay on the on the B two B side, just in terms of people seeing us and saying, "I go to an event and someone says, hey, yeah, I see you on LinkedIn all the time.' Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's amazing." But what I'm not doing is is generating the kind of volume of inbound that some of these really really successful um, LinkedIn guys are doing. But generally, that is just around. Yeah, once again, it's post volume, of course. But also it's just really understanding the algorithm and then just really understanding exactly how to unlock all of those conversations, usually just around telling personal stories about um, really important things that are going to help people versus just sharing updates about what you're up to. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'd be curious, though, because I feel that my take is we're all, we're all fucking grifting. So simple as that, and like I think people should admit that. Like we're all grifting, and I think people do it um, with conviction, and some people do it without conviction. And yeah. the 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 I'd be curious at some of those like yeah LinkedIn influencers, the quality of the stuff they get. You know, I think numbers are great, right? But LinkedIn's got a lot of shit on there, right? So mm. you get loads of followers or inbound traction or whatever. I'm, I'd, I'd be curious about the quality, but I think you make an interesting mm. point about the like the value versus the personal sort of uh, amount, the amount of personality you put into it. And I find yeah. that I find you personally, and there's, there's a bunch of others. In fact, I might do something around like who I follow. Cause I think there's certain people I've really, really value that whenever I see mm. something from them, it's an actually value add. It's something I go, Oh, that's interesting. Whereas mm. I find that the, the, uh, the need to create consistent content and cause it's hard to create consistently value add content. That yeah. means that the, there's room for just basic shit, you know, like talking about, I don't know, like personal stuff going on in your brain. Then I just like, I'm not sure if this is the right spot for it. And I get like, you know, yeah. you know, destigmatizing mental health and like being vulnerable and stuff like that. But I'm like, well, is this actually adding value to me? And yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel that I know what's going on here. The person's putting it on because they're guru who's told them they need to post every day but they haven't got seven pieces of content so two of yeah. these days they're taking a photo of them at a coffee shop just talking about bullshit and i, I don't know i find yeah. that hard to how do yeah. you deal with that how do you think about that yeah well i, I think that the really interesting thing about linkedin is i've over the last few years i've gone pretty much i've deleted instagram i never use facebook anymore 
Um, I don't tweet or anything. And I think to myself, I'm social media free. And then I, I'm on LinkedIn probably like three or four hours a day, which is wild. So actually my social media usage is probably worse than it's ever been <laughs> in my entire life. But I, uh, I justify it because it's part of my job. Um, yep. So yeah, it, it's kind of a... Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I know exactly what you mean with the, some of the quality being low. I think it's it's really just what you want to make of it. I think adding adding some humor in there is good. Adding some personality, especially in B2B SaaS, it's like from the outside, could there be a, a kind of drier subject to people who don't know much about it? <laughs> yeah. Probably not. <laughs> but uh, And sometimes, yeah, it's, it's just a case of trying to add a bit of your own personality. And I found like the more you make jokes, the more you weave in some other interests in there, yeah. but keep it around the subject that you're a kind of most, um, most knowledgeable about the better really. So adding a bit of personality is, is definitely, definitely not a bad thing because there's nothing more boring than a, than a really dry <laughs> post with a lot of words that people don't usually use like thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose that probably points to the, the sort of, uh, the, the benefit and advantage of authenticity. And I think you're, you're a good example and there's loads of other good examples. And then there's some that I don't think are, I think there's a lot of inauthentic content. And I think that to me is so blindingly obvious. And I think if you can make your content authentic, and I think maybe that's one of the things it's like people, uh, I've talked about it before and seen it, like people try and force humor into things. And I think if you're genuinely not fucking funny, like you yeah. shouldn't force it because it's, it seems inauthentic. So you should just find, yeah. you know, one should just find whatever their shtick is. Maybe it is being serious, but that's cool. That's your shtick, you know, and you yeah. stick to it. But you're still, I think authenticity is kind of probably wins the day, right? Because then it just feels natural, whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, same same goes across everything in life really doesn't it like the only time i think you're you're only ever going to be able to be interesting about something if you're interested in it uh and like if it's exactly the same with the humor you're only going to be funny if you actually find something about it funny in there as well um otherwise if if your boss has just told you go and be funny on linkedin it's not going to work out well Um, great strategy that's it yeah drop everything for 2023 go be funny exactly yeah um I'm curious just to get back to the, the, the remote working. Then I want I want to learn a little bit more about like what, what, what's next. But um, so, what's your general take on remote working? Given the position you're in, um, like we're now fully ensconced in whatever the new, 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 new normal is. I don't know what the fuck mm. we call it in 2023. But like, h- how do you kind of think about it? And you know, like, yeah, do you think it's have we figured it out? Have we not figured it out? Um, I think it is massively different from person to person some people thrive on the on the kind of commute and the community of going to an office and i would never ever sit here and say offices are dead and no one should ever go to an office um if i lived in the place i wanted to extremely close to a rello office i would be there every day um but my general thinking is that for me to force myself onto a tube every morning to go and sit somewhere and do zoom calls with people, um, (laughs) doesn't really make sense in my mind anymore with the kind of tools that we have. Um, but yeah, I mean, whether I would be able to be as productive now as, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Whether I would be able to be a remote worker at the age of 
22 versus kind of how I think about work now mm. is, is a big question. Like, I think there's, there's certainly some, some benefit to, I don't know, maybe if you're a bit younger, getting in and amongst it, getting to know everyone in a big company, in a big office, like there are certain things that just can't, I really don't think can be achieved remotely. And even though there is this promise of the kind of metaverse future of everyone having this amazing digital connection with one another, um, I don't know, we'll have to see. Um, uh, I think the metaverse but, yeah. is going to be on the scrap heap with autonomous yeah. driving. That's old yeah. news. Chat GPT so. is, is the way of the future. Mm. Um, so I'm keen to project forward a little bit. So what's next for Rello in yeah, Q1, H1, 2023? What are you guys thinking about? Um, what are you most excited about? Yeah, we are. So the, the product's really, really firing well now, which is, which is really exciting. So um, firstly, it's just working with, working with more exciting merchants, which is really cool. Um, but aside from the kind of growth side, in terms of product, we are starting to work more on, on cross-sells. So we have a really exciting new cross-sell tool. Uh, we realized that a lot of merchants were struggling to understand um, what the best product combinations were. Um, so when someone's purchased product A, what's product B gonna be? And not only that, what is the right timing at which using your historic Shopify data would suggest that reminder should be going out at. So that's that's really cool for basically just driving Klaviyo to, to work harder. Um, and uh, also more dynamic content. So we realized that, so we send um, some of the things that we do in the in the Rello product to send replenishment reminders and we trigger um, try a subscription reminders and things like that, which are relatively limited in their exposure in terms of, um, of how many eyeballs are gonna be seeing those because it's just coming maybe once a month, for example. Um, so we're designing more dynamic content to get more uh, eyeballs into those um, or more clicks into what we call the magic cart, which is where we convert people. So one of those is called a um, an omni block, which is basically a dynamic block that can be added into Clavio um, campaigns or different Clavio flows, which can essentially suggest dynamically the highest value next step for the customer to take. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it's a, a Valentine's Day message that you're sending out to all of your um, customers, and there's a block in there that might say depending on who's viewing it. Hey, would you like to reorder the same as last time? Hey, have you considered trying a subscription? Hey, it's time to manage your subscription. You, it's renewing in three days. Um, so <laughs> those are the kind of innovations we're, we're working on generally. So yeah, that's, that's the big excitement at the moment. Nice. Okay, final question. Where is Harry in five years? A, that is a very good question. Um, <laughs> I think hopefully somewhere I can surf more often. I'm very close to the sea here, but um, yeah, I would like to be uh, actually looking at the sea the whole time when I'm on my laptop. <laughs> um, and I don't know, career-wise, not sure. I think ultimately some kind of consultancy uh, role could be interesting in the partnership space. I think there's definitely a lot of a lot of opportunity there. Um, I love it here in Portugal. Um, mm -hmm. I I would would hope to to be here or somewhere very similar. I think in terms of just health and how I feel and the amount of just natural light and being outside, I feel amazing here. So uh, so yeah, that would be geographically where I am most probably. Nice. Okay. So by the beach, surfing, partnership consultant, guru. That's it. It's pretty cliched, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great, mate. Uh, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Harry, thank you so much for joining me. 
There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at klaviyo.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. Bye.